Good evening. It's a blessing to be together tonight. If you would grab a Bible, we're going to turn to Matthew 16 and read verses 21 through 24. <clears throat> Matthew 16, 21 through 24. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, and for you are mindful of the things of God, but not the things of man. Take up your cross and follow me. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is a passage we often read, and we find Jesus with his disciples, and he begins to tell them that he is to, uh, what is to come, that he is to go, be crucified, killed, and be resurrected on the third day. He then goes on to tell them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So I ask tonight, what is, it, what is our cross, and how do we take it up? And tonight we're going to see what we as Christians have to do in order to take up our cross and follow Jesus. In order to answer these questions, we have to consider what the cross represents. The cross is a symbol that we see very often. You might have one hanging on your wall at home. You might um, have one on a piece of jewelry, on the cover of your Bible, a sticker on your car. We see church, you, churches use the symbol, the cross, um, on advertisements, on billboards, on flyers, um, on t-shirts, and on and on. We see it on social media and things like that. But, and that's because we as Christians see the cross as a symbol of ultimate sacrifice, of forgiveness, hope, reconciliation, and of Christ's love. But tonight I challenge you to view the cross as Peter did here in Matthew 16. View the cross as anyone that was alive during this time viewed it. The cross was a tool designed to inflict, to inflict maximum pain and suffering. It didn't cause a, a quick death, but a long, agonizing death, where the victim was essentially slowly suffocated. It was common to enter cities and hear, and hear cries of agony as, Roman, as Romans hung criminals on crosses hanging them by the city gates in shame for all to see. A brutal form of torture. You see, to the, to the disciples, the cross represented opposition, pain, suffering, shame, and ultimately death. But yet we tend to give Peter a hard time here when he says, not on my watch, Jesus. I won't let this brutal death come upon you. You see, he loved Jesus. He didn't want him to suffer in this way. He didn't want to lose the man that he had followed faithfully for three years. He was prepared to save Jesus from this torture. However, Jesus knew that the cross would bring agony, shame, and suffering, and death. But he also knew that the cross was his responsibility, his purpose. And that's why we see him rebuke Peter so sharply and says, Get behind me, Satan, to say to Peter, I don't need you tempting me by telling me that I don't have to do this that I don't have to bear this cross. Don't you understand that this is God's will? This is my responsibility and my purpose. 
The cross was Jesus' responsibility, and he's the only one that could carry it out. As Christians, we have a responsibility to be Christ-like. It's our responsibility that whatever position or circumstance we find ourselves in life, we are called to respond how God has instructed us to. Our, our cross is our responsibility as Christians. And in order to pick it up, it starts with denying self. When we take up our cross, like Jesus, we will face opposition, shame, and suffering. As we go against the world, we will face these things, things that may be uncomfortable, go against our natural or what is natural to our flesh. Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24. That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul references putting off or laying aside the old man. And we can read in Romans 6 where when we put on God, Christ in baptism, our old man is crucified to the cross. Being called to walk in newness of life, no longer serving the old man. Meaning by denying self, our old self, that fulfilled fleshly desires and lived in pursuit of the world, we put it, instead of serving that, we put on the new man, renewed to serve God and his righteousness. I believe we all can recognize that denying self is a daily pursuit. Because as long as we live on this earth, we live in a fleshly body that is naturally drawn to things of this world and physical desires. Romans 8 verse 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you by the Spirit do, but if by the Spirit you put on de put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For if you lived after the flesh, you shall die. We are called to focus on spiritual things, to keep a spiritual mindset in our life. As long as we live in the flesh, the eye within us will demand importance. We must deny these self cravings and submit to God's will. Christ should be the center of our personality. As we read in Galatians 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ in me. That we seek our identity and our worth in Christ. As we continue in our reading in Matthew 16, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Admonition that we recognize the value of our souls. That absolutely nothing is more valuable. And by denying self, we may lose some things in this life. But our soul will be saved in eternity. <clears throat> we can think of several examples in scriptures of men that chose not to deny self and pick up their cross. In Romans 10, we read of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and asks, what must I do to receive eternal life? And Jesus goes on to tell him, sell all you have, give to the poor, take up your cross and follow me. And we know that he went away sorrowful because he couldn't give up those possessions. We also, in Luke 14, we find the parable of the Great Supper. And as the master sent out his servants to inform those who were invited that the feast were ready, was ready, they all had an excuse for why they couldn't attend. One had bought land, another an ox, one had just been married. 
all thinking of other things that were more important. All had an excuse and ultimately missed out on the feast. When we serve God and pick up our cross, we will miss out on the things that this world has to offer. Potentially face ridicule and opposition, loss of friends and family whose beliefs don't align with ours, missing out on pleasures and comforts in this life, sacrificing career advancements or worldly possessions. But we know our eternal reward is far greater than anything we can find here on this earth. I'd next like to point out that we all have a different cross to bear. Just as Jesus was the only one that could take up his cross, the only one that could be the perfect sacrifice and redeem all of mankind. Whatever situation or chapter you find yourself in life, we all have varying, varying responsibilities. And we could list countless scenarios, whether you're single, married, a parent, grandparent, um, or a widow, whether you're in high school, in college, full-time job, self-employed, or retired. All these different situ situations bring forth different opportunities and challenges that we must respond to. We all have different physical bodies, different illnesses, and different diseases that we might face. We all have different strengths and weaknesses, different temptations, and face in a var varying amount of tragedies. But too often, what does this lead us to do? It causes us to compare, to compare the cross that we have been given to those around us. That we look down the pew and say, that's not fair. I have it so much harder than everyone else. <clears throat> no one else could handle or understand the cross that I have to bear. Or we say, they have it easy. Or we are filled with pride saying, look how well I've handled my responsibilities. See how well behaved my children are. See how I responded better to this tragedy, or whatever example you want to use here. Shaking our heads at others because they didn't handle the situation that we would have, the same way that we would have. Looking down or casting judgment on our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is just another device that Satan uses to divide us, to divide the church and ultimately alienate us from one another. Let's read John 21, verses 18 through 22. Jesus, speaking to Peter here, says, Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your arms, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And he spoke this, signifying by, the de by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoke this, he said to him, Follow me. Then Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, who is the one, betray Lord, who, is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, says to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus says to him, If I will, he remain till I come. What is that to you? You follow me. We find Jesus with his disciples again, and he tells Peter, one day you will no longer be free. Right now you are able to go and do as you please, but one day you will be some, under someone else's rule. They will tell you where to go, what to do, signifying by what death Peter would die. But I guess Peter didn't like this too much. He didn't think that was fair, because he, continued to, he began to look around the room, and he saw John, and he asked Jesus, what about John? What's to happen to him? 
Jesus responded and said, what's that got to do with you? Don't worry about him. You have your cross to bear, and you accepting that and following me is not dependent on anybody else. We must accept and recognize that our lives are not going to be like those around us. There were, <clears throat> we don't receive, always receive, what everyone else does. Basically, we need to accept the reality that life's not fair. We all face peaks and valleys in this life, and they come at various times for each of us. We need to accept our own cross as Jesus did, regardless of what happens to those around us. We know our responsibilities, that we know our responsibilities, and we are going to respond as how God has instructed us to, and that we extend, extend grace to one another. Although we have different crosses to bear, we may, may, we may make different decisions on how we lead our families, how we use our abilities to serve God, how we respond to various things, but we are all striving for the ultimate goal of heaven. We also see that Jesus chose his cross. There are certain things he didn't choose, like how many stripes he would, how many stripes he would receive, or that it was at the hands of the Romans. But Jesus chose the cross knowing that it was his purpose, and he would take it up regardless of the consequences. He knew every detail of the agony that he would, endure, he would endure. He knew what was to come, but yet he still chose to pick up his cross. Matthew 26, verses 52 through 53, But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take up the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you not think that I can, cannot now pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? I guess we'll just continue to pick on Peter tonight. As the Romans had come to arrest Jesus and deliver him to his trial, as they laid hands on him, we see Jesus, or Peter took out his sword and was ready to defend Jesus, to save him from the Romans. And Jesus, Jesus basically says, put up your sword, Peter. Do you not realize who I am? Do you not realize that I can call 12 legions of angels to deliver me from this? To basically to say this isn't dependent on whether or not you take out these soldiers with your sword. It's dependent on whether or not I choose to endure it, to endure what is coming. You see, Jesus chose his cross, and it's with us, it's within our will to pick up our cross. We may not choose the circumstances. We don't choose when a loved one passes away. We don't choose whether or not our children will be, become sick. We don't choose the tragedies that strike our life, but we do choose how we, how we will respond to them. And we do that regardless of what is to come. <clears throat> as a father, we choose whether or not we will be the spiritual leaders of our home. As mothers, choose how they will teach their children. We choose how we will, will, will respond to various crises in the home or at work. We will choose whether or not we will deny self or give in to fleshly desires. And Christ says, pick up your cross. Next, I'd like to look at how Jesus endured his cross. Matthew 12, verse 2 through 3. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest ye become weary and discouraged in your souls. When we face oppositions and struggles for picking up our cross, how can we find joy in that? 
How could Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endure the cross? Because the joy is not based on the current circumstances of now, but the joy is based on where we are going. Jesus got through the pain and suffering because he knew that there was purpose in the pain. Here in Hebrews, it says, he despised the shame. Despised here means to esteem something as little value. Again, he knew the shame and the suffering that was coming, but it didn't outweigh the joy that was to come. Knowing that he would be glorified and reunited with God. Knowing that he could save you and I from a multitude of sins. The joy that was set before him was you and I. Our salvation is the reason that Jesus took up his cross. James 1, verses 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be patient and complete, lacking nothing. Suffering's not fun. Nobody enjoys it. It's not pleasurable. But here James says that we count it all joy when we fall into various trials. Not to say that we experience a feeling of joy, but that again we recognize that there's purpose in the pain. That we know that there is something waiting for those who endure and recognize that the trying of our faith is shaping us and molding us into something that God can use. The word trials here comes from the Greek word paramos, meaning putting to proof, to try or tempt. So I believe James is referring to any trial or temptation of any kind. An illness, persecution, death, hardship, temptation of sin testing of any kind, an experience, where our, an experience where our endurance and our faith will be stretched. And James says, in these experiences, in these trials, count them all joy. We see this reiterated in Romans 8, verses 3 through 4. And not only that, but you also glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Admonition that when we face challenges or difficulty as believers, we can count them as things God will use, bless, and work through in the midst of our lives. That we not be discouraged when problem comes, but recognize that we can find blessings in the midst of our trials. He goes on to say in verse 3 of James 1 that the testing of our faith produces patience or endurance. Trials test us. Trials serve to refine us. We can see this in 1 Peter 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have, grieved by, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes through the testing of fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Gold is purified when it is heated up and melted down. And through this process, the impurities rise to the top, and then they can, they can then be removed. And you're left with gold that is pure and more precious. A jeweler can then take that gold and mold it and shape it into something else. It's the same in our faith, with our faith when we go through flames of trials. When we remain steadfast in God, we come through those trials, our faith better because of it. God can then shape us and mold us, into something that is useful in his kingdom. However, what do we often do when it comes to suffering? Do we behave like Peter, draw our sword ready to fight? 
I want to share a story I heard given in a similar lesson. It's about a man who goes hiking. And as he's hiking, he finds a cocoon. He comes across a cocoon hanging on a limb. And he begins to watch it. And he can see movement inside the cocoon. And he thinks, oh man, this is cool. I'm about to see a butterfly come out of this cocoon. So he waits. And he waits and he waits. And things weren't um, progressing as quickly as he would like. So he takes that cocoon very carefully, removes it from a limb, places it on a stump. He then removes his pocket knife and very carefully begins to cut a hole or cut open the cocoon and remove the butterfly. But he quickly realizes that the butterfly is unable to fly. Its wings are wet and weak. What he didn't understand was that God had designed this creature with the struggle in mind. That, the, that as the butterfly worked to push its way out of the cocoon, it would work the moisture out of its wings and build up the strength to fly. The struggle was necessary for it to become what God had designed it to be. And yet we do the same thing in our own lives. We want to avoid trials, run from the struggle, or give in. That we do whatever we can to remove suffering from our children and those we love. And I'm not talking about when circumstances or tragedies strike someone's life and we're there to jump in and help them. I'm referring to when we make bad choice and we suffer because of that bad choice. How often do we want to take the suffering away? When our children are caught in an act of disobedience at school or with their friends, are we there to remove the consequences from them? Do we do what we can to lessen the consequences of their action? Are we there to prove in their mind that it really wasn't their fault? When a loved one, a friend or family, is suffering because sin in their life, are we there to help them justify it, to validate what they have done? Sometimes we need to do what the man with the butterfly couldn't do, and that's be an observer. Knowing that the suffering is necessary for growth and learning. In our own lives, do we think, I don't have to bear the consequences of this? Do we let the comfort, do we let our comfort or the thought of losing our comfort keep us from bearing our cross? Do we let our rights, our rights as a Texan or an American, keep us from taking up our cross? Do we refuse to deny self and let sin keep us from taking up our cross? We need to be careful that we don't become Peter for ourselves and make every excuse for why we can't take up our cross. That we remember that there is purpose in the pain. This caused me to think of the Apostle Paul. Through all the things that Paul faced, he continued to have something that vexed him. We read of this in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 through 8. Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of a revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with God three times that it might depart from me. We read, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. The scripture says a messenger of Satan to buffet him. But we also read that there was purpose in this struggle in Paul's life. It was given to him so that he wouldn't be exalted or puffed up with pride. We read that he prayed to God three times to have this removed. Peter was just like, or Paul was just like you and I, he didn't enjoy suffering. And like we do, he pleaded and begged with God to remove it from him. We can see God's answer in verse 9. 
And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. The blessings I have already given you are enough. I'm not going to take away the suffering. We can see that Paul was given many blessings in his life and privileges that not everyone else was given. He had gifts from God to heal the sick. He had protection as he went and spread the gospel, something that he was very talented at. And as we know, someone that might have these qualities, it might be easy for them to be prideful or arrogant. So God says, as God is telling him that the thorn in your flesh is necessary. It's keeping you grounded. It's keeping you humble. Why would I take it away? So Paul responds, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproach, in needs, in persecutions, in distress, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So we see that Paul went from begging God to remove this from him to glorying in his tribulation and recognizing God's role in it. We may pray to God that he removes suffering from our lives. We may beg God to remove suffering in our lives. But we all, and we might come to become discouraged when we feel like those prayers aren't being answered. But sometimes we need to realize that the answer to our prayer is no. That God's grace is sufficient for us. Knowing that this is what we need in order to be what God wants us to be. That we have full confidence that God will allow us to use every circumstance in our lives for, his go- for our good and his glory. If we had to sum up what it means to take up your cross in, wood- in one word, sum up our responsibility, I believe that word would be submission. That we submit to God's will. Philippians 2 verses 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus, who was equal with God, came down to this earth, took the place of a man, of a servant. He came to serve and to teach to experience pain and suffering, humbling himself to obedience towards God's will, submitting to the cross. And Philippians reads, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That when we experience shame or ridicule as Christians, we submit to God's will, behave as he is instructed. When we feel that we have been wronged or disrespected, instead of retaliating, we submit. When someone treats to us or speaks to us in a way that we feel like we don't deserve, do we often feel like we have to have a response? That we try to think of something that we can say to put them in their place or make them feel the same hurt that we have? Isaiah 53, starting in verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. Jesus remained silent. To the soldiers that beat him, to the people that ridiculed and spat on him, to the men that nailed him to the tree, he had nothing to say. As he carried his cross, he was silent. 
Submitting to God's, submitting means God, to God means that we are not the authority, that we are not led by our own will and carnal desires. God should be the authority in our lives that we remain under. I don't believe anyone would argue with me when I say God is God and we are not, that we are subordinates and inferior before him. Everyone would agree with that. We proclaim that. We often sing songs about that. But how often do our lives reflect that? I know too often mine does it. I submit to Sadler's authority. I do what's natural to me. I submit to what's comfortable, what's easy, the path of least resistance. And I ask you to consider your own life this evening. That we surrender our minds, our hearts, our tongues, our hands, our entire being to God. Because he first loved us, Christ submitted himself to death for us. We love him by glorifying and submitting, him, submitting to him. Luke 9, verse 23, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. I want to point out one word in this verse, and that's daily. That we take up our cross daily. Because each day we will face circumstances where we are called to be Christ-like. As Christians, members of this congregation, as parents, members of society, we have daily responsibilities. This verse doesn't say pick up your cross on Sunday. Pick up your cross when, it feel, when you feel like it, when it's convenient for you, when it's to your benefit. But that we pick up our cross daily regardless of anything else. You know, Christ bore his cross daily, not just physically when he carried it up the hill of Golgotha. Throughout his life, he knew that he would go to the cross and suffer for us. He was always looking forward to the cross and what was to come. So he woke up each day with that in mind, and he lived accordingly, living in service to God, God's will, preparing for that day. There are days that will come that we might not want to pick up our cross. It's difficult at times. We're tired of the struggle. We don't want to continue to bear the burden. But when the day comes that we aren't struggling, when we're comfortable, taking the easy road, giving in, that's the day that we should be concerned because that's when the devil is winning, taking hold in our lives. But instead, we consider the burden joy because we know of the harvest that will come in this life and in the next, knowing that as long as we have breath in our lungs, there is still work to be done. God is not done with us. That we will continue, that he will continue to use our lives to glory and for, to glorify him. This is all the thoughts I have this evening. We'd like to offer the Lord's invitation at this time. If there's anyone that um, is subject to the gospel call, if you've been properly taught and you desire to be baptized tonight, or if there's anyone that needs prayers and strength from the brethren and sisters, we ask you to come as we stand and sing.